Hi everyone, I'm Pastor Eric, and I'm Kelsey, and we're here to invite you to another exciting episode of The Good News in Harry Potter. Today we'll be discussing Chapter 7, The Sorting Hat. Kelsey, what do you like about this chapter? It's always exciting to read this chapter because it's really our first introduction to Hogwarts. As Harry enters in, you just get a feel for how much grander is in Hogwarts, but also how welcoming it is. Yeah, uh, uh, when they see it from afar, they see all the turrets, and when they get into the opening hall, it's apparently bigger than the Dursley's whole house, and so uh, Harry is really expanding his sense of, of, of wealth and size just by being in that space. And I think you get a feel for how elaborate that space is, with the ceiling that's enchanted in the Great Hall, but even just the welcoming hall, the ceiling's too high for Harry to even see the top of. It has this great marble staircase. And then as the chapter continues into the welcoming banquet, there's this feast that's unlike anything Harry has ever seen before with a huge variety of food and desserts. Harry even says that he gets to eat more than he ever did at the Dursleys. Yeah, this banquet is almost designed to be your heart's desire. It says that desserts full of ice cream of every flavor that you could possibly imagine and cream puffs, and I think they even had steak for dinner, so it's really just ticking off all those boxes of, of, of what is considered elaborate. And that at the end of the meal, everything just disappears and their plates are clean again. How do I get that at my house? Just like magic. Uh, what I really liked is uh, how they uh, uh, kind of moved into this idea of houses. Uh, uh, Hogwarts is divided into these four houses, uh, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, Gryffindor, and Slytherin, and how, depending on who you are on the inside, all of these traits um, uh, are predominantly in one of you in some way. So you belong to one of these four houses. I agree. I think that it's really cool that, you know, there's this sense of family within their houses too, that they have to work together towards this common goal of winning the house cup. They live together in their common room, um, and it just gives them a more of a foundation while they're at Hogwarts. Yeah, and you get that, there's a little bit of that sense like it's not all what's in you, you know, uh, that there's a little bit of your own choice involved in which house you belong to. Yes, you see Harry definitely take a little bit of control in the sorting because he's saying in his head, not Slytherin, not Slytherin, and the hat kind of questions, you know, you do great, but... I think it shows that we can choose how we act from the traits that we have within us and what kind of person we put forth. And Harry chooses who he wants to put forth somebody who is a brave, courageous Gryffindor versus a cunning Slytherin. And as they get welcomed into these houses, you get this sense of that there's just a ton of camaraderie there. Yes, I love that as every student is called for their house, the house erupts in cheers and is 
stands up and shakes his student's hand as they walk over. I think it makes that sense of welcoming that the building of Hogwarts provides even stronger as you see these students welcome in. This chapter is also our first first-hand introduction to Dumbledore, and I absolutely love Dumbledore. Um, you get the sense that he's just this really genteel but also goofy guy. Yeah, how can you not love Dumbledore? I think the first time we see him stand up to speak, it says his arms are open wide and his eyes are twinkling with the students. You can just see that there's this love that he emulates and that he has this passion for the students. Yeah, and he's very protective of them. You know, he comes off as this very lovable guy, but he also has this stern side to him, especially when he warns them about going to the third floor corridor. Um, he, you, you get that sense like he's a really good kind of par parental figure. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the one line that really stood out to me when they introduced Dumbledore was that um, his hair seemed to shine silver just like the ghosts in the hall. And so you get this timeless sense to Dumbledore as mm -hmm. well. And this sense of light. He says it's timeless and light, that it was the only thing that shone as brightly as those ghosts. Absolutely. Uh, I think I, identity and who you are, are are some pretty heavy themes that just run throughout this chapter. Absolutely. I think we see Harry continue to question with his identity as well as get to know his identity a little better, but then we also see the identity of all these new characters that we've met in their sorting. Um, we don't know too much about Hermione, Ron, or Neville yet, but we know that they're Gryffindor, so they must have that sense of bravery in them. We've also met Seamus who's a Gryffindor, and we now know that all the Weasleys are Gryffindors as well. So we can start to get this sense of a little bit more of who they are. Yeah, that e even though they're a very diverse lot of characters that present themselves quite differently, I mean, when I think of uh, Fred and George, I can't think of anyone more different than Hermione Granger at this point. Um, there's still that common thread that unites them all. Um, yeah, and I think that really speaks to identity in general for us as a people, that we all can have so many things that make us completely different, as polar opposite as Fred and George to Hermione. But there's also a lot of commonality in us that we can find common ground and build relationships from that. And as they're sorted into these houses, I like... Uh, uh, the contrast in between all the different people as they're sorted. Sometimes the hat takes a very long time. Sometimes it, it it's right away. Um, and you, there's a surprising aspect to some people, like Neville Longbottom. You would have never thought he's supposed to be in Gryffindor. Yeah, he seems like this kind of goofy, forgetful kid who can't keep track of his toad trips on its way up to the stool, walks away from the stool still wearing the hat, um, but clearly the sorting hat is able to see something in him that maybe we wouldn't see right at the surface. 
And th then we're presented with Malfoy, who is everything that we expect to be, and it, it barely touches his head before it screams out Slytherin. And so we get these contrasting images, which I really like. Yeah, I like that as well. I also really liked that we saw Harry continue to wrestle with this sense of believing. You know, in the first few chapters, we saw him have a hard time believing that this wizarding world was even real, that it wasn't some elaborate prank that the Dursleys played on him. Now he's at Hogwarts. He's no longer doubting reality, but he's doubting his sense of belonging. He thinks, you know, what if the sorting hat gets placed on my head and they figure out that I shouldn't be here and I get sent home? Yeah, he seems to be continually waiting for the rug to be pulled out from under him here. Um, and that's changed exactly what that means throughout the, the, the chapters. And we still get this sense that it's all too much for Harry to, uh, to believe and grasp onto. But I think that really shows, you know, his identity forming and changing because for so long he was told, you don't belong here, you're worthless by the Dursleys. And now this is the first time that he's really experiencing a place in which he's not only belonging, but wanted. And as we move into the, the gospel in this chapter, I think that it has to revolve around this figure of Dumbledore. And maybe that's my own personal bias, but uh, uh, Dumbledore comes off as this just supremely loving, fatherly figure um, that I, I, I think equates itself to imagery about God the Father so easily. Yeah, I think it's hard. I'm probably a little biased as well, but it's hard not to see Dumbledore as the father ushering in his children and welcoming them back for a year of learning and betterment and fellowship. Out of, out of all the adults that we're... Uh, introduced to in this chapter. Dumbledore um, seems to enjoy the students the most. You know, that twinkling in his eye, uh, the silly songs, the whole uh, uh, procession of the events that probably have happened exactly this way for, for decades of him being there. Yeah, I, I enjoyed, I think my favorite part was when he's warning the first years about the Forbidden Forest and reminding the older students that they should also stay away from the Forbidden Forest. And he just kind of gives a little twinkle look at Fred and George Weasley, who I think we already can tell are quite the troublemakers. But you see that even Dumbledore, in his loving, fatherly way, is stern with them and reminds them of the rules, but also still very much has an appreciation for them. Yeah. He knows who he has to look after. <laughs> and Percy had, uh, uh, to these new rules being introduced, had a really interesting uh, uh, comment where he, uh, Percy, who we'll get to know more and more throughout at least the first and second books here, um, has a very certain opinion of himself yes. and his, his, his status at Hogwarts. Yes. I, it made me laugh when... Dumbledore gives out the new rule about the third floor corridor being off limits and Percy saying, you know, he usually gives us a reason or I would think he'd at least give the prefects a reason 
And that just made me think of us as humans so often wanting a reason or better understanding from our Father, God. And when we don't necessarily understand exactly what's going on, we may sometimes feel a bit like Percy and feel a bit like we're deserving of more of an explanation. Yeah, I think uh, the biblical story of Job comes to mind where uh, he just puts his foot down and asks God all of these questions on why these things are happening the way that they are. And, you know, even then he doesn't get a clear answer. Um, And that leaves us in our own ambiguity with God sometimes where we are constantly trying to view God and God's actions in our own human perspective, putting God into certain boxes and categories. Um, even now, we're doing it now, equating God to, to Dumbledore, when God is um, more vast, more complex than anything that we could possibly understand. Um, and that we just sometimes faith is all about this idea of trust knowing that God is looking out for your best interest, whether you quite understand it or not. Absolutely. And I did enjoy that I think that we still see a piece of that in Percy, of that trust in Dumbledore, because even though his ego is making him feel that at least he should know why they're not in the third floor corridor, you still see that he has a respect for Dumbledore when he tells Harry that he's a genius and that he still has this trust in Dumbledore. And I think that that's a a piece of our faith as well, that even though we may question, we may want answers, just as Job did, at the end of the day, we understand that there's so much to God that we can't possibly fathom at all, but we just need to trust. Where are you seeing God this week, Uh, listeners? Let us know. Um, We look forward to seeing you next week on our next episode of The Good News in Harry Potter.